Hello and welcome back to the Sunny 16 podcast for yet another week. Um, we've got a great show in store for you today. And as with Burton Paper, this show is sponsored by Bananas. Fresh Bananas. Um, joining me to host this week's show, first off, a massive New Year's welcome back to Claire. Claire, welcome back. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. It's an absolute delight to have you back. I can't quite believe that it's the first time we've seen you on the show. I know. First time this year. First time this year, exactly. How was Christmas and New Year for you? All good? Yeah, good, quiet, COVID, <laughs> <laughs> lockdown. But no, it was fine. Can't complain. Yeah, it's a, it's a delight to have you back here. And for the benefit of listeners who can't see, Claire's <laughs> Christmas tree is still behind her. We will be updating you on this throughout the year. We have been promised that that will be there until June, July at the earliest. So we'll, we'll let you know the progress of it. Also joining me is John. John, how are you? Hello. Good evening. I'm fine. Thank you very much. I've uh, I've actually just put up my Christmas lights. So we'll see how long they last as well. <laughs> Yeah, and whilst you have eaten your um, pre-game banana, you did manage to do so without poking yourself in the eye this time. So that was very Not good. Not tonight. I've learnt from my previous banana incident. <laughs> um, hopefully it'll never happen again. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We also have joining us this evening a return guest, a superstar, special guest, who we're delighted to welcome back onto the podcast. It's Dan Bassini. Dan, welcome back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's nice to, to be on here with the whole crew. No offense to Graham, obviously. We had a nice little intimate conversation last time I was on, but yeah. it feels good to be uh, be here with the whole group. Uh, well, it's nice to have you here to enjoy sharing you with the whole group. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. So for listeners who maybe have not been with us for that long or perhaps just have a very short memory, you joined us back in, we think it was February last year. It I think was, so, yeah. Um, and you joined us to talk about primarily um, your No Invite series of work. Uh, yes, the, yes. The zines you've been putting and the body of work that you've been building up, basically doing guerrilla fashion shoes. Um mm. Uh, fabulous work it was a fantastic conversation anybody who hasn't heard go back and listen but you're here this evening to talk about different stuff because i don't know why there's something about last year that makes me think that maybe that wasn't the most viable way to go about bodies of work so we'll yeah no i think things were uh things took a turn not too long after we had our conversation (laughs) last time so I think it might have been right after I had just shot Fashion Week in February. I think it might have mm. been shortly after that week happened or I was prepping for it right before. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, sometime around March, things uh, changed a little bit. Yeah, things went a bit <laughs> sideways. Um, but before we get into all that, we did say before we were going to discuss this because we were supposed to. This is a Wednesday. So hopefully the show will be going up like almost immediately after we've recorded it. I'm assuming I stay awake long enough. Um, <laughs> but we were supposed to record this yesterday, uh, and uh, I got a message from John, who'd been chatting to you and sorting out the times and dates, saying, um, can we move it till tomorrow night? Because Dan's got a problem with his plumbing. To which my <laughs> oh, response boy. was, is that sort of euphemism? Um, Dan, what's been going on with you? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so I've been... Uh, I live in Jersey City, for people who don't know. I'm in a... People maybe not familiar with the states or the northeast of the states. Uh, it's a city right outside of New York City. And uh, I've been here about five years now. And I moved for the first time in those five years. And I recently moved in on Saturday. So it's just been a nightmare in general, like getting everything moved and, and slowly moving things over. And then 
getting a friend with a truck and then, you know, getting everything mm. here. I actually, up until probably yesterday after we pushed everything back, found my microphone cable <laughs> for my <laughs> mic, uh, which was like packed away somewhere in some place that was not well organized. Um, but yeah, so I was here for a couple days and I was like, oh, a new place. I'm trying to buy some new things. It'll start fresh, new towels, new sheets, things like that. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I've always wanted a bidet. And I <laughs> bought one of those like $35 bidets and uh I'm sorry for what <laughs> just casually dropping that a $35 B day. What? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, just a bucket. Yeah, they're not that expensive <laughs> on Amazon. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you get what you pay for, but uh, you know, I'm I'm not ready to dive into the expensive bidet world just yet. I gotta, you know, <laughs> test the waters, uh, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so it's, it's normally a simple process uh, where, you know, you just turn the water line off uh, at the source, you know, at the at the back of the, the toilet. And then, uh, great for photography podcast conversation, <laughs> but uh, it's an old house. It's an older house. And uh, I turned the, the water line off and then went to disconnect it to install the, you know, the T connection for the for the bidet and then I notice really fast that the water is not actually turned off and water just starts pouring out of the thing I'm like oh no 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 <laughs> and I screw it back on real quick and it it's just continues to leak and uh I'm just kind of freaking out a little bit <laughs> and uh it's it's not too bad of a leak and I like put a little dish under it and it's fine and then uh I, I let my new roommate know, like, terrible first impressions on a new roommate, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, hey, just let me know, uh, this thing might have happened, and it, it should be fine, <laughs> but it was it was a pretty slow drip, and it wasn't, like, a big deal, I'm like, oh, when you, when you come home from work, just, you know, dump out the dish, uh, I was gonna go over to my girlfriend's place in Brooklyn, and I was like, it's it's fine. Here's like a towel in case anything, if you want to go to bed and like put that down just in case she had a friend who was going to come over and replace uh, the water line. Cause I think it's just, it's all old. So the second you disturb any of those valves, you know, who knows? So <laughs> between the hour of me leaving and my roommate coming back from work, apparently it got much worse <laughs> <laughs> to where it had overflowed the bucket. So it went from a slow drip that wasn't like a big deal to like rushing water that was pouring down the cabinet in our kitchen. Uh, ah. Not good. <laughs> so uh, needless to say, I came home from Brooklyn pretty quick and then sat around yesterday. Oh, well, I woke up in the middle of the night three different times to, like, empty the bucket out into the sink. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then proceeded to wait around all day for a plumber to come show up and uh, fix my mess, which finally happened. I, I would have been good for our record time yesterday, but it was cut close. Like, the plumber left yesterday at, like, 2.45 on my time. Yeah. And we were supposed to record at 3 or 3.30 yesterday. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. it was just like, you know... It might be better to just make sure this is all settled before we do this. So yeah, that was my my move in nightmare. Hopefully, the last of it. Uh, everything is dry. Well, I think the lesson to <laughs> learn God. from that is don't leave the house if you've got a leak. Yeah, it, you know it was <laughs> it wasn't great. It was not my best decision. Uh, but it, it's, it's all solved now. It we fixed it with uh, some fifteen dollar parts from. Uh, from Home Depot and a bottle of Jameson, and we're good. <laughs> uh, the important question is, really, um, one, 
is the B-Day now installed? And two, a uh, follow-on question, is it everything you'd hoped for? I mean, this is something you've long wished for. Has it? I, I, I had long wished for a B-Day, hence my uh, excitement <laughs> and uh, perhaps a premature uh, <laughs> installation. But... Uh, no, the bidet is not installed. It, is, uh, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those deals like, let's make sure this toilet is functional again. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll revisit it in a few in the future with with, you know, some maybe more hands on deck. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 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 so, the main goal was just getting everything back up and running again. So. Well, I'm uh, sure the story didn't have a happier ending. Maybe you could just like run a hose pipe from the kitchen tap or something uh, and just like sit uh, on it. Yeah, yeah. Pipe. Again, the happy ending for me is it's just everything works and I didn't have to pay a plumber, you know, uh, multiple hundreds of dollars <laughs> to fix something and seriously important. So just, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of stress. And again, on top of like me barely even moved in yet. <laughs> so, yeah. It's so, always yeah. Good. But okay. yeah, so things are dry, feeling better. I'm glad to hear that. Well, it, so starting off the year with a house move, that's always fun. Um, you were just saying that when we last spoke, it was very close to New York Fashion Week. Um, that did go ahead, didn't it, New York, New York Fashion Week last year? That was kind of like uh, in, just in before the lock, just. Yeah, February was still, uh, you know, there was words that, you know, things were going to make its way over to the States mm -hmm. and it was like becoming a more, you know, global issue. But I think things were still pretty much business as usual uh, around February. It wasn't until I think like the second week of March or third week of March mm -hmm. here that like things got real. And yeah. then like people started shutting things down and, you know, working from home and all that stuff. So, yeah, mm -hmm. by, by that time, mid-February, it was it was business as usual in the city. So. So how did Fashion Week go for you? It was fantastic. Uh, I really think i'm trying to remember what we spoke about last year because i don't remember if it was before or after i don't want to retell any stories i think fashion uh, week was after i think i'm gonna i'm gonna find the date now uh, but i think fashion yeah. week was after yeah so i mean i got some good stories <laughs> if that's the case i just don't want to re repeat myself for the the poor listeners out there but uh yeah i mean it was it was great i think volume seven uh which was the last copy uh the last volume of no invite that i did i think it's the best one yet mm. and that's really all i can hope for is the fact that you know topping myself is not an easy thing to do every year it's you never you never know what to expect february fashion week is always kind of a mess because it's you know the it's winter and the weather's bad and there's been times where it just rained and snowed and there's people walking in heels with you know <laughs> in four inches of slush it's it's terrible <laughs> so, so what's what's just quickly what's the background behind no invite i assume so, it's it's about kind of just not being invited to actually have access <laughs> yeah so uh basically i'd always been interested in fashion week and, and new york fashion week i grew up in central new jersey so i've always been like pretty close to new york i've always been it's like an hour or so train ride and uh i used to watch there was a channel on tv called the metro network that was all about like new york subculture and and mm. new york culture stuff and you'd have like mark Ram uh, you know, marky ramon and stuff like walking down st mark's place and real cool kind of things like that and they would always broadcast fashion week every year and i always kind of like latched onto it because it was like a cool art form that i wasn't very familiar with especially growing up where 
people are expressing their, you know, identities through clothing. And, and, and I thought that was really cool. So when I finally moved to Jersey City five years ago, I was just kind of like, oh, Fashion Week exists right across the river. I can just go over there. And but I had no connection to the industry. So mm -hmm. I just I, I grew up shooting concerts and things like that. I was a music photographer for a number of years. And kind of the punk ethos is like, yeah, you don't know how to get in somewhere. You just kind of sneak in. And that was kind of the whole ethos behind it. It was um, I found a party. I guess this would have been 2016 then where mm -hmm. there was like a bunch of cool, hip New York people and everyone was dressed all outrageous and and it was a kind of it started as a practice or a, a little like you know experiment to kind of get over that fear of asking a stranger if you could take their portrait mm -hmm. which uh, it's it's like silly to think about but i know a lot of people struggle with that and i was definitely one of them where like you know you're afraid that someone's going to say no mm -hmm. and even that little bit of a roadblock there is you know, it's it's a little prohibitive for a lot of people to be able to then, you know, you miss the shot, you know, because you're afraid or you balk at the attempt of asking someone. And mm -hmm. this was a party that I stumbled upon that everyone was looking to be seen. So yeah. that barrier of people saying no was greatly reduced. Uh, so I had this like kind of selection of portraits from that event. And then the next season was the big, uh, I think it was Kanye West was doing a show in New York and it was a big deal. It was Kanye season five or whatever. And I found out where it was happening and then went out and kind of waited for the show to be over. And then all the models came out. There were a bunch of rappers there, a lot of, you know, kind of the hip people. And I got mm -hmm. photos of them outside of the show. So it's kind of the portrait section and then the street style section. And I'd always love putting out zines. When I was working with bands, I would go on tour and I'd make like a Kinko style Xerox zine that I would sell at the next tour I was on to kind of make some extra pocket money for myself. And I hadn't done a zine in a while. And it was like, oh, well, I now have these, this selection of fashion related work that go together. And, mm -hmm. I, and that's when I put out the first no invite. It was kind of like a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. And the next season came around, I had a lot more purpose. It was a lot more purpose driven. I found out where things were happening. I researched where things were happening. I photographed everything that was, you know, vertical was going to be a, a page. Horizontal was going to be a spread. Like everything was a lot more in sync in my mind on how I was going to mm -hmm. lay it out. And then that just continued on as a series. And uh, yeah, again, it was the whole prospect of, I don't know. I don't have any connections to this industry. But I can, you know, find out where things are happening and then kind of talk my way into them <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, just kind of have the perspective to kind of see where you can get with a camera and how you can get away uh, with, you know, confidence and things like that. Uh, Graham, did you actually find out when we last I spoke? Did. Yeah, so we last, it was the very end of February. So I think the show went out on the 27th. So we'd have spoken earlier that week. So I guess that would have been just after. Yeah, okay. So yeah, then everyone go back and listen to that because there's some, that was, <laughs> yeah. there were some really good stories there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and it was kind of, it's kind of, it's probably going to be weird to re listen now that that was kind of the last hurrah for the foreseeable future. Mm. But I, I snuck into some really good parties that, uh, that season. <laughs> and I, and I, and, I kind of had a good feeling like if this was the last fashion week that I do for a while, like it was, it went out on a good note. It was kind of yeah. like, 
the peak performance of my series in terms of sneaking in, getting photos of certain celebrities that I've been like waiting for years to photograph. Um, and I guess for people who don't know, and maybe John and Claire, all of that mm. stuff is shot on this. The, yeah, I was the just... four. <laughs> So yeah. I guess getting around to this being a film podcast, we should probably mention that. <laughs> I was going to say it's all shot on co um, compact um, film compact cameras, yeah? Yeah, all on uh, pro compacts. Mostly the Shika T4 these days. Uh, yeah. Earlier stuff, I had a Contax T2. That was my baby. And Fashion Week just eats all my cameras. <laughs> uh, I've gone, th I've, I think I have three yashika t4s that are currently broken at the moment yeah and i had the the gold 60th anniversary contacts t2 that was like my pride and joy and uh fashion week ate that too so <laughs> i just have a camera graveyard uh how but, wild yeah, are these parties that you crash in it's just, i think what it is is honestly i these cameras i love them i i probably hold a lot more emotional and investment and passion with my film cameras than i do my digital cameras but they're tools at the end of the day. You know, they're in my pocket. They're rattling around. They're in the rain. They're in the snow. They're in the cold. It's just they're, they get used. They're not mm -hmm. precious items. They're mm -hmm. tools that just work for what I need them to do. And what's great about them being pro and small, they're a little more inconspicuous. I feel mm -hmm. like I get a different kind of... Uh, reaction from people who might be used you, to having paparazzi cameras in their face oh and so you're not you're not photographing people in a paparazzi style though are you you're you are approaching people and yeah it's them. i i definitely don't want to be lumped in with the paparazzi i'm shooting this more as an artistic thing than a mm. i'm not selling these images to you know wire services or things like that um, but I feel like it is a very unique perspective on a lot of uh, these people because the paparazzis have a very specific thing they're going for and they're a little more confrontational and they're, they're you know, obviously shooting these things for sale. For me, it, it falls a little more into the headshot style. So mm -hmm. shooting that on a, on a little Yashica, I have to be like two to three feet from people to mm -hmm. get the, the specific, you know, look I'm going for for the most part. So it's a little less about the fashion. It's a little more about the people. But it's all centered around the events of Fashion Week. But it's just a unique perspective. And like I said, I get a different reaction from people because it's not so much what they would expect. Or I get a positive reaction from people who know the kind of camera I'm using or you mm -hmm. know appreciate it. I had a great conversation with Heidi Klum a couple summers ago who she was like, oh, I haven't seen one of those cameras in a while. Oh, I'm... Reliving those uh -oh. moments. And I'm like, yeah, it's like delayed gratification. And she's mm. like, yes, the world needs more delayed gratification. <laughs> like, it's, and it, it's great. Like those mm. kind of moments I wouldn't be getting if I was out there. Flashing. If you wouldn't mind inviting like, her on our show afterwards, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll pass it along. I, uh, yeah, thanks. I'll see what she's up to. <laughs> I, love you. I love your photographs, um, Dan. Um, Thank you. When I, when I was looking at them, they, rem they initially reminded me of... Um, you know the cobra snake, his pictures. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, he's he's a classic. Uh, yeah, he's been I used forever. to. 
I don't know if John and Graham know. Um, is it Mark, isn't it? Mark Cobra's name? Is he Mark? I think so. He's from LA, right? Yeah. And I used to love, going back to about 2008, I think it is. So it's about 12 years. No, 13 years ago. Time goes. And I used to love looking at his pictures. And were they, were they in the Vice magazine? I can't remember. Anyway. I think he definitely were, did some work with Vice yeah. at that time. Uh, yeah. He was like a big party, white, like nightlife photographer yeah, in, uh, that's in LA. Yeah. And there was there was someone doing similar stuff in New York, I believe, um, called Driven by Boredom of that same okay. era. Uh, but yeah, that was like a cool moment in photography. Where, yeah. yeah, like hard flash, really like in the moment, like youthful kind of stuff because it was all nightlife. Yeah, that's but, it. yeah, hard, a huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I used to love it and like looking at all the clothes because they used to have that Corey Kennedy and then that Atlanta. Uh, Decadene and all them and I used to like I used to like his photos and when I looked at your pictures I thought oh it reminds me of, of that style but different as well different um thank you but and I was just going through them because because they're, they're really like they are really accomplished aren't they um they're yeah. great I love them so Dan um after years of brutally subjecting your poor cameras to this treatment have they had uh, a nice year off this year what's been going <laughs> obviously i said new york fashion week happened and then uh, everything stopped happening um yeah the, the possibility of shooting fashion gone right out the window no matter how much of a gorilla you're going to be unless you're breaking <laughs> models houses and making them dress up for you which i'm pretty sure would not be okay if yeah yeah up. haven't gotten <laughs> haven't gotten that desperate yet <laughs> yeah. it's been it's it's been kind of nice to have i mean obviously i would have loved to have been able to shoot fashion week this season uh, i really enjoy shooting the no invite series uh it, it's a bummer that volume 8 is on hiatus at the moment because yeah like there was new york fashion week this season but it was like truncated down to i think three days the only in-person shows they did were like twice a day like one in the afternoon one in the evening and it was limited to like 35 people and it was just kind of it, it wasn't the same you know photographing people with you know wearing masks you lose a lot of that facial expression that i feel like i really try to bring out in my photos is like you know when you only see the top half of someone's face you lose a lot of that character mm. a little bit mm. um so it wasn't something i was necessarily like i didn't go out and hit the streets and see what i could get it it was just it felt like it was time to kind of take a break and not not kind of force it. And on top of that, I mean, for to do one of my books, it's normally I shoot probably close to 450 photos across the week and then narrow that down to 50. Wow. So <laughs> if uh, you need time to build that selection up to, to then be able to narrow it down. And I just I didn't want to put that pressure on myself. I didn't want to force it and put out something that I wouldn't be necessarily proud of, you know. And funny enough, talking about the broken cameras, I was so excited because when I was shooting volume seven, it, it was the first season in uh, like two years that I didn't break a camera the whole time, <laughs> which was an accomplishment because I was literally going through two cameras per year, uh, like minimum. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, uh, a word to the wise, don't base a portion of your career on 25 30-year-old pieces of plastic <laughs> and or you can but don't expect them not to break you know mm. that's that's the I, i'm sure anyone who loves film cameras has that heartbreak in them uh, mm. and have experienced it at some point or mm. you know you got something to look forward to <laughs> <laughs> 
was your were yours breaking from being overworked down or were you dropping them or, or was it a combination no just... i mean i'm i'm always fairly good to my gear in the sense mm. that i don't drop them i usually have the hand strap on uh there are a couple times where this is actually i think it happened when i was shooting volume six and it's so stupid on my part but i was wearing a wristband for an event mm. and it felt in my head that I had the wrist strap of my camera on and I dropped my camera a couple of times because oh, I'll have yeah. it on my wrist and I'll shoot and just <laughs> drop it. And, yeah. and I thought that the wristband was the wrist strap of my camera and I dropped it. And honestly, that camera's still kicking somehow <laughs> that one, but there'll be ones I just use like a normal camera and it all of a sudden will start, uh, you know, the, it'll shoot and the lens will extend and then not retract. Yeah. Uh, that's a big one. Another one I had that was probably the biggest heartbreak was I shot uh, a bunch of rolls on a camera before getting the film back and noticed that apparently the lens position shifted slightly. So everything was just slightly out of focus. Oh, no. Uh, where like the eye was out of focus, but the ear was in focus on everything. I even shot a... <laughs> full roll just as a test to see if, if I just mm. like had gotten bad at photography and yeah sure enough it was just the focus was off just enough that I couldn't put the mm. images in the book and sure enough like and of course that's like a total me problem because I'm shooting everything at two to three feet if I was shooting everything at six to seven feet that focus problem probably wouldn't be yeah. noticed at all yeah. so it's it was like the worst problem it could have been it was just slightly off enough for what I needed to do it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, these, as you said, you've been using, uh, and I, I kind of hesitate to use the word because it, the situation you're describing gives light to this fact that you've been using the professional grade point and shoots, the contacts, and so on. And what I mean, all right, they are 25 years old, but I think what really is shown is that no matter how professional a point and shoot might be, they they just they cannot because of what they're made out of for lightness for all of these things they cannot be tough as well and they probably weren't when they were brand new you could just go and buy another one when it was brand yeah. new mm. um, which well, you can't do now yeah i mean i absolutely wouldn't put the yashica t4 in the professional department uh it's kind of a fluke of a camera a little bit. It was mainly because, I mean, it's made by Kyocera, who I think also had the contacts mm. um, licensing as well at that time, as well as Zeiss. And I think it's mainly because, because, I mean, it's literally, it's a piece of plastic mm. with a very nice lens. Mm. And this was kind of, I mean, it was probably expensive for what it was at the time, but not compared to, like, the contacts T2. And... You know, it's, you know, it, it was just kind of a vague, like a vaguely rich person's vacation camera in the 90s, you know? And then, yeah, if you really wanted to step up, you got the contacts uh, T2 or T3. And, yeah, I feel like the, they're made of metal. They they stand up a little bit better. Um, but, again, what went wrong on my, my T2 was electronic, you know? The motherboard fried in it and you take the picture and the lens extends and it never retracts and you take the battery out and then yeah it just so you, can, you can't get that repaired then can you you can it's just so expensive mm. it's oh, right. it's like probably four or five hundred dollars to get fixed mm. it's something <laughs> i want to do because the camera is i love it it's it's amazing some of the stuff i photograph with that camera i i can look 
at photos I've taken in the past and like know it was taken on that camera because the lens mm. profile has so much character to it. It's very saturated. It's very contrasty. It has like a vignette. I've mm. shot stuff with it on Ektar and it looks like a painting. You know, it's so over the top. <laughs> But it's it's great to be able to have that in your arsenal, as well as it just being like a beautiful camera. And how many, Dan? I was going to ask you, when you turn up to your parties or your events, how, how many cameras do you come armed with? <laughs> um, so I've kind of refined my arsenal a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've had almost every desirable pro compact at this point, and I've <laughs> sold off a lot of what I don't use. Because I found what works for me, and I'm like, I'd rather spend the money building yeah. up like kind of a backlog of these yeah. cameras because they are, you know, they're hard, getting harder to find. They're getting more expensive to find, and they do the work I need them to do. So when they break, I need to have something as a backup. Mm. Um, so I've kind of refined it down to to what I like. But normally, for Fashion Week, uh, if you go on my Instagram, I usually have uh, in the highlights. I have stuff from Fashion Weeks and my you know what I'm out shooting with. Normally, I'll have two Yashica T4s on me. Uh, normally one shooting. Sometimes I'll have like a hundred speed film in one, mm -hmm. or I'll have uh, and I'll usually have like a four hundred in the other. Back when it was easier to get, I would have one with sixteen hundred Fuji, uh, and then one with like four hundred to kind of cover my bases. But that's obviously, unfortunately, not an option any longer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I do still have some sixteen hundred in the fridge, but I haven't had the the need to dig it out yet. Maybe I'll sell it and buy another Yashica T4. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I've also been messing around with, I would bring like my Nimslow along as well, which is a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, the the four camera stereographic uh, camera. And then, uh, you know, because you can make cool gifts with that. And, and that's really cool for Fashion Week. And that's another one that gets a really cool reaction from people, especially when you like are able to send them the like final image of the kind of 3D look. Yeah. So yeah, I would kind of... Two cam, two you know, point and shoots, and then one fun, fun camera. Yeah. When uh, everything clamped down in March, um, there was a, a big sort of push. There was a lot of noise about um, when suddenly everyone was in lockdown and at home, and it's like this is a great opportunity. Don't look at it as a bad thing. Be creative. Do stuff. Do all these things you've wanted to get done, but you haven't had time for. Now's the time, and. Um, and there was a, sort of a lot of going on social media and seeing people going, oh, I've got this planned and this planned and this planned. Um, did you find that suddenly being faced with a much more restricted world uh, boosted your creativity or not? You know, it, it was interesting, I guess I would say. I, I kind of really wanted to use that time to push myself to do more things like oh i got plenty of time to update my website now i got plenty of time to comb through my archives i i have all this time to do all this thing and and it it kind of it was such a crush on creativity i felt or at least productivity because i, I don't know what it was i mean obviously the weight of the world got conceitly you know much heavier for everybody obviously and it was a weird amount of free time that didn't lend itself to creativity or, or being productive and things like that. And it just felt like, you know, every time you would find yourself, it's like, oh, I could just actually just 
watch 30 rock again on tv or (laughs) you know read the you know read scroll through the phone and and you know check instagram for the thousandth time and it was it was a weird thing and i really i really felt it the first couple months i tried to continue uh shooting i would go out for walks all the time and i kind of it was kind of nice in the way that i rediscovered my my neighborhood again Mm -hmm. um when i first moved to jersey city i didn't have like a big client list at the time uh i i had a lot of free time on my hands where i would go out and walk and discover my new my new neighborhood and i took some photos on that and i did a little like there's like a web 20 picture web gallery that i put out of of that kind of stuff and this was the first time i had some serious time on my hands again and i went out and rediscovered everything again i walked every block in you know with like an hour's radius of my house and i'd bring my camera along but i i was just kind of snapping pictures of I became a landscape photographer very fast. Mm. You know, being a portrait photographer, especially a portrait photographer who specializes in shooting people from two to three feet away, especially strangers, not much room for that in COVID times. (laughs) (laughs) So I started shooting a lot more things around the neighborhood and, and discovering, you know, I took pictures of cats and pictures of squirrels (laughs) and pictures of the view into New York and, and, just honestly something to keep me shooting and that mm. i think we talked about it on the last time i was on but i've been running a ongoing photo project uh film photo project since t- 2009 uh it actually just had its 11 year anniversary i've been posting a new film photo every day wow. for 11 plus years on a, a website it's the rangefinderdiaries.com so I've kind of been producing this work for 11 years just in the background. It hasn't been stuff that I've necessarily, you know, publicized or put out there. It's just been a project for me to continue shooting. And now I have an 11 plus years of my photo life of, you know, what's been going on around me in kind of snapshot form. And I kind of started shooting more stuff in that vein because it was really the only option I had. Uh, but it felt good to kind of reacquaint myself with my area and my surroundings and and just going out and, you know, hitting the pavement and, and photographing things that I probably wouldn't photograph otherwise. And uh, I even uh, this is <laughs> it's so stupid, but I even started taking pictures of like myself in the mirror every day with a little post-it note with like day whatever on it. And then I got to day 50 and I'm like, this is it's. It, we're still going if i kept doing that we would be on like day like 296 or something so uh that that was a failed attempt of a, of a continued project but yeah i i really just kind of had to push myself out the door to go out and 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 photograph them things you know yeah yeah and how's that progressed um because you know you said you you've been working on more stuff obviously no, no invite volume eight is on hiatus until the world returns to something which at least vaguely resembles normal. I don't even remember what normal looks like now. <laughs> it was like quite a yeah. long time to get to see it. Um, so what are you focusing on now? Because I know you, you're still wanting to produce stuff. You're still very active and engaged with all this stuff. So, so what, what has filled that void? Well, so I, it was really tough, especially when I, I like to travel. I like to, um, you know, I like road trips and things like that. Mm. And and basically I was, 
I was feeling even more isolated than normal, or at least more kind of cabin fever effects. I mean, everyone has, obviously. But right before um, all this happened, I was supposed to, I had a big job that was supposed to happen in July, where they paid me, you know, half up front. I went out and I bought a new laptop. I really needed a new laptop. And uh, I went and got a new travel, like, rewards card with, uh, that had, like, a big introductory bonus when you spend a lot of money in the first couple months. So I ended up with, like, $700 in travel rewards from that alone. And then I also bought a new car the end of last year. So I had, like, a new reliable car for the first time in my life, a <laughs> car with, like, a warranty and things like that. And I had travel rewards and then I couldn't go anywhere. And it was oh, so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there were there were moments where like I had some friends and we'd take some day trips here and there that were like really, really nice. Um, even we took like day trips to central Pennsylvania, which is not a destination for anyone really, but it was still somewhere different that wasn't mm. any of our apartments or, you know, things we've been seeing for six months. And basically what happened was Things were feeling a little, I don't know how it was in the UK, but like in September, things felt a little less heavy. It, we, we felt like we were on the other side of things a little bit and things started to open up a little bit more. And uh, what happened was the in New England, uh, they kind of relaxed a lot of travel restrictions uh, mm. to people in the Northeast. So I was like, okay, this is my chance. Obviously, you know, wedding season is a wash at this point too. Because uh, normally what I, I do, I'm bread and butter wise, I'm an event photographer and I'm like a wedding photographer. And that kind mm. of, you know, that's usually what pays the bills. Mm. And there was some of that coming back in August and, and things like that. But again, that's been quickly shut off again. So I'm like, oh, I got free time. I have a car. I have travel rewards. And New England's opened up. And I booked myself a two week road trip, which was amazing. It felt it was one of the best vacations I've had, mainly because it was just me. I was on my own. I could like choose exactly what I wanted to do. I could like keep myself isolated and uh, you know, just be able to get out, see something different. And, mm -hmm. you know, I took myself to beautiful places because I was, you know, shooting landscapes and things now a little bit. Again, all of it still on the point and shoot. Um, I, I dug up my contacts G2, which I love and don't shoot in, with enough at all. But it was nice to bring that out. And that camera is a lot better for shooting, you know, stuff that is a little more beautiful. And uh, yeah, I, I booked myself a couple nights. I was in Cape Cod uh, off the oh, coast of Massachusetts. Hmm. I was in Boston uh, where I mainly explored the North Shore area of like Rockport and not so much the city of Boston. And then I went up to Acadia National Park uh, in Bar Harbor, Maine, uh, which I hadn't been to since I was a child, where I, like, totally didn't appreciate it at the time. I remember just, like, complaining to my parents at, like, 13 or 14, and I'm like, why do I have to wear a light jacket in June? <laughs> and now that's the dream. I would love to wear a light jacket all the time. Um, so I got to see that now as an adult and as a photographer, and it was absolutely stunning. Uh, I spent some time in Portland, uh, Maine, which was beautiful. Uh, I had gotten an artist grant from the city of Jersey City, which was awesome. That also helped me, you know, pay for this trip and paid for my food and paid for my gas. Um, I was able to, I like, I hope they don't look at the transaction list because before I put the book out, <laughs> all of the transactions on my artist grant were like 
high-end seafood restaurant. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, I basically just bought a ton of film and I stocked up and I I got on the road and I was able to kind of control where I wanted to be. I could drive wherever I wanted to go. At one point, um, one of my favorite paintings is Christina's World by Andrew Wyeth. And uh, I'm sure it's recognizable to most people. It's the picture of a, the the woman laying in the field, kind of looking up at like a farmhouse in the corner. And uh, it's one of my favorite paintings. And I was able to go, I went to like a little secondhand shop in Maine mm. and found a book that was all about that painting and the house uh, in the painting. And I was like, oh, this is a sign. And I found out that the house was not far away from where I was in Maine. And I drove oh, out yeah. and got to see where the house was and see the house and and see the area and, you know, kind of like vaguely recreate the photo, uh, you know, that was in the painting. And, you know, it was, it was just like, that's not something I could do necessarily with some of my friends, you know, Mm. like they wouldn't want to drive two hours out of the way to go look at a house that was in a painting, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's wild to me. Yeah. Yeah, That sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, uh, it was very cool and it it felt Mm. like such a relief and it gave me an opportunity to feel homesick for the Mm. first time in like six months. And um, again, with the no invite series, I'd been consistently putting out two books per year. One for February Fashion Week and one for September. And I kind of didn't want to lose that momentum of creating because I really like making the books. I really love putting something physical into the world, like being Mm -hmm. able to so much stuff is on. I'm going to put on my old man hat for a second and just like Instagram is probably the worst way to view photography Mm. or at least like the least impactful way. Um to me personally, I, I everything I say is the least productive thing you can do. So don't so take all this <laughs> with a grain of salt. But I feel like you lose the nuance of a photograph um, when you're just constantly scrolling, mm. you know. And you're you're mainly like, what are you actually getting when you scroll as fast as I probably scroll? You're getting like a pop of color and maybe a little composition, but you're losing any of the actual detail mm. unless you stop and look and zoom in and. And, you know, you're looking at everything on your phone. And if it's a horizontal photo, it's a couple inches tall. It's, you know. So I feel like when you make something or you print out a photograph, there's a little more of an occasion behind it. There's a little more stop and think and stop and look. Mm. And making a book, you, it's like, here's a completed idea. You can, like, hand someone a project. And I really love that. And I think it's something everyone should do. Getting Getting a book or a zine printed is not a huge undertaking in terms of cost. And I think it's just, it's nice to be able to have something in your hand. And uh, so that's when I came up with uh, cruel summer, which is the new book. And it's, it's basically the stuff I photographed in the last, you know, in six months of quarantine, essentially. And it's, you know, it's just stuff from around my neighborhood. It's photos from on my road trip. It's some, you know, pictures of like the small moments I had with friends when it was safe to do so and uh it's it's been a nice change you know a lot of people don't realize i i photograph that kind of work like i said with the rangefinder diaries and stuff it's just kind of a project that's for myself mm-hmm. so i was a little apprehensive putting a book out by it uh because i've been pushing myself as the person behind the no invite series 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, photos of uh, the ocean are a lot different than photos of like a celebrity at Fashion Week. So I was I was a little worried that uh, people wouldn't be interested, you know, mm. and fortunately, it's been quite the opposite, which has been great. It feels good. Um, when you've got with your no invite stuff, the theme is obvious, although even within that, you know, you can you can work towards a certain aspect relevant throughout each individual issue. Um with the cruel summer, as you just saying, there's photos from your walks around where you live, from your traveling, from the most. How do you pull them all together? When you were at the point of taking them, was there an idea, a feeling, a concept that was in your head that you were trying to convey? Is there something that kind of ties these things together for you? I think I think the main tie is the fact it happened during quarantine during a certain time frame in quarantine um it kind of the book kind of weaves in and out of that but there is a couple photos in it that kind of snaps you back to the reality that what the what the photos were taken during but it's i mean like i said i started out i was taking pictures of myself in a mirror with a with a post-it note with a day Mm. on it you know i really wasn't sure what direction these photos were going in it was just i was going out and capturing these moments during my walks and things like that and originally i had thought about taking the road trip and then having putting out a book on just the stuff i photographed on the road trip and i got some amazing images from that but it wasn't anything that necessarily spoke to me as anything more than just like a travel log, you know? So taking some of those images and then mixing it with the other work that I had done, it kind of filled out the story a little bit better, Mm -hmm. I feel. And again, it wasn't something that I really set out to do specifically. It was just the story kind of came through in the edit a little bit. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, I think anytime you're putting a collection together of anything, you kind of have to develop a little storyline through it. But, um, you know, I mean, there, the photos in the book, there's, you know, it's it's bright and sunny and there's stuff and there's like, you know, my friends in the pool. And then there's like a moment in it where it kind of snaps you back to reality where like here's a two page spread of my neighbors being taken to the hospital, yeah. you know, in the middle of the night. And they didn't come back from the hospital. Like, oh, wow, it's uh, there's there's some moments where it kind of grounds itself a little bit. Mm. And uh yeah, it, it, it kind of makes you forget and then reminds you about mm. like the situation happening. Yeah. Um, so there, there's an emotional weight to it. There's also somewhat of a release, you know, there's um, kind of joked around a friend of mine did a he, he recently put a photo book out um, or it's in the process of where his whole thing was he started doing a lot of tabletop work and things like that. And the whole concept was he didn't leave his house during quarantine and my whole photo book is me leaving the house during mm. the whole time. So it's, it's funny that it's kind of the people had different opposite takes of it, but mm. it was, uh, it felt good to do something slightly different. It was a little more refreshing. It was a little bit of like a reset button on my creativity. Mm. Yeah. Cause uh, as you said, getting to put together the narrative of it throughout the zine and to, to use the contrast of these pastoral images and these images of, I would imagine fairly quiet, neighborhood scenes was the yeah. people um and the contrast throwing that in against these occasional as you said snap back to what the reality was i can really see how that would work to, to create a quite a compelling um 
seeing because I think it, we're, we're going to see a lot. I think in, in the next year, and then, you know, we're already starting to see now of how people are expressing what 2020 was, and I think that's very difficult. I think it's a difficult thing to do because it was such a it's so big. It's yeah. you, you you're in the forest trying to take the picture mm. of the forest. And it's like well, there's all these goddamn trees in the way. How do yeah. you? Um, and so by making it personal, by making it a reflection of what your personal journey was through it, um, that way you can bring it down to a manageable scale that is meaningful to people, as opposed to just like uh, masks and trauma and like well. Was that you? Was that your experience? Because if this was your day to day, it was just this. Then how did you make it out the other side? Yeah, no, I actually uh, that's an awesome perspective. <laughs> I really like how you explain that. Uh, but yeah, no, I I feel like yeah, everyone has gone through. It's 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 like you said, losing the forest for the trees a little bit because this is literally a a global event. It's something mm. that every single person, for the most part, in the world has gone through or is mm. dealing with, and everyone has their own story of how they did it or what they're doing or how they're coping. And I think those individual stories are important. And I think, mm. you know, uh, I set out to just to keep myself creative and I wanted to put out a book of my experience and my, what I did during this time. Mm. And it wasn't even more or less like, uh, I, I don't do pre-orders really. It's just like, I want this to exist. I'm going to pay the money to have it printed. And then if other people dig it, that's awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm very much of that model. I am not, I, I came up in the punk world and like the whole Kickstarter, like, Oh, help us fund a new album. It's like, no, you just, you pull your money together and you work a crappy job and you just put it out. You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of that mentality, but I think it's something everyone should do. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, a zine, the whole point of it is they don't have to be, you know, 60 pages glossy, they could be, you know, uh, stolen from the copy center at Staples and, and you know, <laughs> tied together with dental floss. Like, they don't have to be this grandiose thing. They don't have to mm. be a hardcover book from Blurb. Like, don't waste your money on Blurb. Just put something out. And and it's it's just something that, you know, I feel like everyone has the ability to do. And I mm. think they, they should, you know, no matter what you do. I like your DIY ethos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I love your title as well. I really like your title of that book, Cruel Summer. I think it's a really you. good title. In fact, I like your titles. They're great. Um, yeah, it was a, a slight homage to uh, Bananarama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased you said that. <laughs> but it's really, no, it's really, really appropriate. But I imagine, though, what was New York like, though, in lockdown? Was it very quiet? Because... The, just in the UK, just before um, I think we locked down completely here, I think it was the 24th of March. And the, basically the weekend before we locked down, I went, I was in London because from where I live, there's quite good train links and it was noticeably quiet, um, which I thought at the time, well, this is great because everywhere I wanted to go was, 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 you know, much easier to, to get around. Um, and then obviously we locked down. And um, then I was seeing all these images of, say, London, um, which you're used to be, used to being quite busy and thriving, and it, everything was deserted. And I and I was thinking, oh, I'd love to be there with my cameras now, capturing, wandering the streets of London, because there was literally no one around. Was was New York anywhere like that? Anything it like was, that? 
it was fairly similar in the sense like every like volume of everything was just you know way down um it it i'm kind of torn about how i feel about it i mean it was definitely interesting especially in the beginning Mm. because everyone was taking it very seriously Mm. i feel like it's it's worse than ever and people were kind of a little more lax about it you know yeah but those first few months everyone was like so on the ball about like we got to be good we got to do this we got to do that and now yeah i feel like people just like you have to get back to daily life a little bit just because you know they haven't at least here i don't know about the uk but they haven't really stopped charging people bills or rent or you know mm. so they, they take away your opportunity to make money but still you still have bills to pay for it's terrible and that's a whole different conversation mm. but the New York is is interesting in the sense that, honestly, seeing it mostly empty mm. kind of took away the soul of New York. That sounds super yeah, corny, yeah, but yeah. It, New York is interesting because of the people in it. Uh, it it's it looks kind of vast and 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 kind of heartless or soulless a little bit without the people in it. And I guarantee you, there's going to be. Uh, 10 dozen bad photo books that are going to come out of like empty New York streets. <laughs> like mark my words, they're, they're probably already in production of, uh, you know, but yeah, to me, it, it just, it, at least photographically for what I'm looking for, it kind of lost the luster a little bit because mm. New York is so much about the people in it yeah, and less so than the streets or the buildings and things like that. Mm. So I really, I was torn about it. I actually didn't go into the city for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, things were things were pretty pretty weird. I saw a lot of pictures and I, I did have some friends who were photographing it at the time uh, and probably doing a better job than I would have been. And yeah, it just it, it's bizarre to see, but I feel like it, it kind of lacks that appeal of, of new mm, york mm. at least on a street photography level yeah it's so much about the people and and the routine of life and those breaks in routine or, ba- or you know breaks in like especially like photographers who focus on the surreal aspects of street photography you know not much of that happening i think some of the best people who captured that kind of stuff uh do you guys are you familiar with chris maggio at all uh fantastic photographer he's been doing a lot of work with like new york times and things like that lately Mm. and he he's really able to kind of capture the bizarre surreal aspects of the city and he's been doing a new series called like the end of the world and it's kind of it's a great light-hearted way to look at like (laughs) the state of things right now uh so definitely people should look him up he's Mm. been doing some incredible work um when you your two weeks trip away um I mean, a two-week trip is always a treat anyway, any going anywhere. But a two-week trip to get away last year is something even more special because by that point, I would imagine you were pretty stir-crazy. Even getting out every day and walking your own location, you you were somebody who's used to being able to go and travel and see more places. Um, and also, you had this grant. You were looking to produce some work for that, specifically, I would imagine, when you went there. So what sort of preparation if there was any did you do before and i know you mentioned about this christina's world picture the painting already that you knew you wanted to go and see but was there a lot of forethought um, and preparation in terms of the output you wanted before going on this trip given that 
you didn't know whether this might be your only chance to get out this year. How did you approach it? Um, so like I had said, around that time, in, so I, this was like the end of September into October, it, uh, right around that time. I think I left on like the 21st of, uh, I can tell you in a second. I left <laughs> around the 21st of September and then uh, came back around October 3rd, something like that. Um, yeah, like October 3rd or 4th, I came back. So really the only preparation i mean i bought film and things like that like uh, equipment wise i went out i didn't bring any digital cameras at all i only i brought my uh i think i brought two yashica t4s an olympus stylus that i uh epic that i recently found at the thrift store oh, wow. um oh yeah I've, <laughs> I've had so many of those and i've never paid more than ten dollars for one <laughs> they've always been they've all, all been thrift store finds uh and it's kind of like I refuse to pay full price for them now. <laughs> but uh, the I found one like right before pandemic happened, like that week before lockdown, uh, which was a great find for eight eight bucks. <laughs> so I brought that as kind of a, a third option backup camera I could have on me, and I loaded them all with different film. Uh, and then I had the contacts G two that I took out that was really great to have uh, because I love that camera. The 45 millimeter lens on it, I think, is one of the best <laughs> film lenses of all time uh, for 35 millimeter, at least. But that was actually something um, going back to just shooting during lockdown in general. I was shooting stuff around the neighborhood, but I was doing a lot of film manipulation in the sense of I was shooting. I, I shot almost nothing at box speed during my like little neighborhood walks. Okay. Um, a big fan of shooting Kodak Gold mm. 200 at 100 speed. I think mm. it looks beautiful. It gets this really nice, like, amber color to it. Uh, and also, shooting cheap film slightly overexposed makes it look a lot less like cheap film. You know, because a lot of times you get that grain in the shadows, that kind of, you know, that shadow detail loss. It, it really stands out when you have cheap film. So, Kodak Gold at 100, fantastic. I shot some old Roly color negative film that I had that I shot at 100 that I... I, I shot with my I have a Yashica T5 that has a light leak, and I took that back out again, vaguely hoping it didn't have a light leak anymore. It like that camera, I, I bought that and I shot two beautiful rolls with it, and then took it out to Fashion Week, and then immediately had a light leak on the first like six rolls of film I shot with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I was hoping it would just disappear as quickly as it arrived but it, it's yeah, still a they do you know they get a cut and they heal up naturally that's how yeah yeah i mean it, it came out of nowhere for no reason why can't it leave out of nowhere <laughs> um but yeah so i, I was like kind of messing around with different cameras messing around with different films messing around with different uh you know uh asa you yeah. know manipulation and things like that and really just tried to make things interesting i was cleaning out like some of the old film in my fridge you know <laughs> to take out and um i mean that was something i did when i went on the the trip i had i shot ektar for the first time in a while because i knew i was shooting some some landscapes um shooting kodak gold at 200 for landscapes and then i obviously i shoot a lot of portrait 400 and i also really love uh the lamography cn 400 and i was shooting a lot of that at 200 speed which was great for landscapes too but it was uh, – I was a little bummed. I was so excited for Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park. And the three days I was there, 
<laughs> it was just total fog. There were <laughs> moments at the top of this, there's this mountain there called Cadillac Mountain. And I drove to the top of it. And normally you have this like incredible view over the ocean and the there's all these rocks out there in the ocean and these islands and things like that. The fog was so thick that I literally couldn't see where my car was parked. Oh, that <laughs> was sounds that amazing. Like, you couldn't see uh, six feet in front of you. It was mm. bizarre. But I, I saved all my like, you know, saturated film and then everything was just gray the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also cool to shoot, you know, out across the, you know, the the water at these rocks and these these like, you know, everything kind of had a dusting of fog across it. And it, mm. it was really like moody and really cool. But um, it was hard to fit those into the book because a lot of the stuff I shot in the summer was very bright and saturated. And I mm. there was some themes that popped back up of like a lot of fences, a lot of flowers, a lot of sky and things like that, uh, that I, you know, you notice these patterns when you look at all the images as a whole. So I was trying to find, uh, I don't know what it means, finding PD <laughs> while also feeling closed in, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's really but, searching for escape. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. I actually didn't answer your question. I think that you asked about the actual product, like um, the actual um, process of getting prepared for it. And really, I didn't have too much of a uh, plan. I just, I, I booked hotel rooms, so I knew where I needed to be at a certain time but from there i kind of played it by ear i like i everywhere i stayed two nights so i did two nights in cape cod uh, mm. i ended up catching the sunset in falmouth which is this beautiful lighthouse and beautiful you know water out on the cape and then another day i drove out to um uh one of the other the tip of the island there i'm blanking on the name i'm sorry uh, but yeah it was just like i was able to kind of just wing it a little bit and it felt good to be able to do that uh, like mm. I said, going to see the Olsen house from the yeah. painting, that was literally, I was on my way to Bar Harbor and I stopped in store, stumbled upon this book and realized that, oh, this is in Maine. I can see it on my way to Portland. And I drove out of the way to stop there totally on a whim that, you know, I discovered a few days before and uh, being able to do that was great, you know? not That's be weird. tethered to, to anything yeah. else. Cause I've been on vacations where, you know, you have that, like that, that certain friend or, you know, who just railroads the whole thing with things they mm. want to do. Mm. And I, among a lot of my friends, I, there's not too many artists amongst us in my like close friend group. So it's hard to kind of twist their arm to be like, Oh, let's go somewhere here because it's, it's beautiful and I want to take a picture, you know, yeah. sometimes that's not enough to, to drag someone else out there with you. But, it felt good to just be on my own schedule, be, yeah. you know, I yeah. hotels were super cheap. I stayed in some really nice places for very little money. All of it was, all my hotels were covered by my credit card reward points. <laughs> so I think maybe like including the artist grant and my credit card rewards mm. and some of the film, the road trip itself maybe cost me a couple hundred dollars for two weeks. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, then with more film and then producing the books and things like that, there was there was more money out of pocket. But again, just to get away for two weeks was incredible. You know, wow. it sounds magical, and it sounds like you had a really quite an experimental time as well, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, that's something I always tell people who are looking to get into film is just mm. shoot as much 
film stock and cameras you can mm. because eventually when you've been doing it as long as I have you build this mental database yeah of okay if I shoot this film stock through this camera in this lighting condition I'll get this result mm. and you can kind of start to see the images in your head before yeah uh before you take the picture and it's like I know if I shoot portrait 400 with the flash on in the Shika T4 it's going to get this look. Or I know if I shoot, uh, you know, Kodak Gold through, you know, if I shoot it through the G2, it's going to be a little less saturated and a little less contrasty because the G2 has a very sterile lens. It's very accurate. It's very clean, but it doesn't have that much personality to it as opposed to shooting it through the Contax T2 or the Yushika T4. You're going to have more contrast. You're going to have some vignetting. Mm. You're going to have a little punchy. It's going to punch the colors a little bit. And uh, it's just something like I think everyone should do is just shoot as much as you can and build that mental database. And you can then know that's the joy of film. It's like not living in Photoshop or Lightroom mm. doing a ton of post because you're able to shoot. Oh, I want to shoot this a little more contrasty. I'll, you know, I'll use this film stock mm. or I want to shoot it maybe a little less contrasty and a little more pops of purple. I'll, I'll use Fuji, you know, and I think that's like a skill that I think is everyone should try to try to build mm. you know um, definitely also uh, the one thing that is uh, for shooting the thing is that you can do a lots of difference with keeping your use fairly high because you know the new different I mean you can see there just the tiniest sliver of the number <laughs> of um and if you're if you're trying too many different films in too many different cameras you, you just don't know what where the tail's wagging the dog or what's going on with it yeah so. i mean you can uh something i've recommended for people who are who maybe are going way overboard in terms of trying so much different stuff all at once you know buy a little notepad um yeah. mm -hmm. like padua sells those little photo journals or you buy the field notes little notepad mm. keep it in your camera bag with a little uh, pen or a little pencil and you know if you get a new camera and you're or you're trying a new film sometimes what i've done is kind of put it through its paces and take some portraits indoors take some portraits outdoors with flash without flash and you can kind of oh frame one uh indoors with flash and mm. you can actually i mean you can go as detailed or as uh, vague <clears throat> as you want but you know, you can then go back and reference what conditions these were in. And I've, I've put cameras through their paces like that too. And, and you kind of learn really quickly. And then you have that, you know, kind of, you can look back and, and determine what were the conditions that were these photos taken in. Have you yeah, got, no, I think that's a really good idea. Sorry, John. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to ask, have you got um, a lab that you send everything to that keeps everything consistent? Cause even though you like, you're changing your film around your cameras, it would be feasible that they would all come back very similar because of digitization. 
Yeah. Um, I was using a lab for a while that uh, was with a company I worked with uh, that I don't want to mention because they laid us all off during COVID. So, <laughs> uh, but I've been using a new lab uh, called Gelatin Lab in uh, northern New Jersey that have been pretty great. Um, it is slightly different. My old lab was shooting, was pushing everything through a frontier, a Fuji Frontier mini lab that I actually did really like those scans because the Fuji Frontier has a very specific like profile that it um, sends out with its JPEGs that I really liked. Um, with this new lab, they do a more flat TIFF file. So they do require a little more punch up in, in uh, post than I was doing before, but the file is much better. Uh, with mm -hmm. the old Fuji Frontier Labs, it's you're getting a JPEG. Uh, you're getting it. It only sends out sizing that would be equivalent to a print. So I think it was, you know, you could get a four by six scan, or you can get an eleven by fourteen scan, essentially, and mm -hmm. you're kind of tied to that. So yeah, I mean, it TIFF is kind of the way to go. If you can get a nice flat TIFF, you can kind of punch it up a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I do. That, that was a good question. I do. Uh, I do realize that now that, yeah, the, the labs can put their own spin on kind of your output a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you um, stick with a similar lab, you know, you can. Well, so, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just another variable, isn't it? Whereas it is you're consistent yeah, no, with your true. lab, then hopefully they're giving you the correct. Well, yeah, or consistent well, output through. And that that's something people ask me all the time if I edit my film and uh yeah, I mean, you. I think everyone should. You should do something, especially if you're getting tiffs. You know, I know a lot of people on Instagram who shoot film don't touch their negatives at all, and they end up just looking very flat and kind of gray, and you kind of lose that punch because a lot of people don't know that, like, a JPEG file is a finished file. A TIFF file or, you know, if we're talking about digital, a RAW file or things like that, those aren't ready for prime time, you know, they need require something on in post to, to bring them back to how they, they should look. Um, mm. So that's another <laughs> edit, edit your film. Don't, don't be too proud. <laughs> it's, it's one of those insane things. I've been spending time in the dark room lately and um, the kind of the way, and I, I don't think you, maybe I'm just not seeing it as much, but hopefully it's because it's gone away. But um, the hashtag no filter, this idea of I'm just, I'm just showing this image without having done anything to it, um, like a badge of honor. And yet, if you're making a darkroom print, if you're doing it like the full analog way, you're putting in so much work. Oh, like, absolutely. And, and it's no different. You know, I use Lightroom and you're doing the same things. It's th this idea of, oh, yeah, just sharing as it is, is being true to it's bonkers it's it's yeah. never been true and <laughs> that that's such a good point is because yeah people don't understand that if uh, a great thing people should look up is like look up um some of the old ansel adams like darkroom notes and things like that or any photographer's darkroom notes and you'll see there's so much done to them yeah like more so than most people probably do in post in general and just mm. so much dodging and burning and the, you mm. know all of those tools in photoshop are based off real life processes mm. you know and i think a lot of people uh don't don't know that sometimes and you know when it, i i never fell in love with the dark room most of my work is shot in color and i've never 
developed at home color work or or printed color work in the traditional sense but yeah there look up some of the photographer's old darkroom notes and you'll see so much work to specific you know uh sections of it and and especially like the zone model and things like that it's it's been it's bananas you know people uh yeah edit your work make it look as best as it can to to what you think because you know, if you're not, you're really kind of shorting yourself. Yeah, there's this idea, isn't it? And um, it makes more sense in the digital age than it did in the film age. I think this idea of just get it right in camera. All right, there's a, there's a large amount of that, which it still very much holds true. The framing, the focus, all of these mm -hmm. things. Um, and if you're shooting digital and the camera is spitting out JPEGs, as to it's doing all of that processing for you, great. You can literally get it all right in camera and have a finished product at the end. But... Um, a film camera, like to get, maybe if you want a certain type of print that is just what the camera is, it, the, just what the light is giving you on that day, you get in the S, you can have that. But for most of what you want, most of the great works of photographic art that you look at, like, no, light doesn't work like that. You can't have this, like this, the tone here, and this tone here, and all that work. Like, no, because yeah. light isn't like that. It's not. Um, <laughs> I, one yeah. of my favorites, thank God, I think it's moved on at this point, but do you remember um, when everyone would add artificial light leak to their, like, digital photos? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, I mean, I, I fell victim to that for a very brief moment. Photo <laughs> school. Uh, but there was also the moment where people were adding, like, red light leak to their black and white photos. <laughs> <laughs> what? Truly, truly terrible. Uh, but it is, I miss I mean, that one. Oh God, yeah, it's it was it was rough, but that was also of the era. Do you remember very very early Instagram era, probably even before? Remember the hipstamatic yes, app? Yes, yes. If you like scroll far enough back into anyone's Instagram, like there will be a moment where you hit the the hipstamatic mm, photos mm. in there, and I feel like it's. I mean, I I used it too at the time, as everyone did, but there's so many photos that I'm people have taken and i know i've taken that were taken in that hipstamatic app with the super old rudimentary filters and the bad square crop uh and so many moments are kind of lost to that because now you have this like brutally orange photo and you don't have the original <laughs> you know yeah and it's like unusable now and then also those those filters that they added and even instagram filters now there's such a detail loss among those that you know it, it turns it into a really bad file that you really can't do anything with um so just another thing for people to be aware of but yeah hopefully everybody's saving keeping their originals and yeah yeah for instagram sure. ones just disappear into the cloud somewhere yeah exactly um given that with no invite you were making two zines a year and you put out cruel summer um what are you i mean this has obviously come out pretty recently cruel summer this is the your freshest thing but 2021 so far hasn't exactly launched with a an explosive change of space um <laughs> what are you going to do to maintain your creativity do you do you have january is quite often i think for a lot of people it's a time when the creative juices actually get flowing again. We have that torpor over mm. December of eating too much food and drinking too much. And you hit January, like, oh my God, I need to do something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Be creative. Um, so where are you now? What, what are you doing looking forward, given that it seems unlikely that 
for the foreseeable, the fashion scene is going to get back to a position where you're going to be able to do no invite eight in the way that you would want to up close and personal with strangers. It's I don't think we're going to be there for a little while. Moving into the future of, of what I'm working on now, I'm honestly not too sure. Um, I'm not trying to put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, like I said, force anything new. I'm still out taking pictures, really trying to capture the things around me, trying to continue putting myself into interesting situations that may breed new photos. Um, things are a lot more locked down than they were. Um, you know, when I, I went out on my road trip in, in September, but yeah, I, I'm not too sure what the next book could be. I want to keep making more books and I, I would love to keep up that two per year, uh, model I've been running, but I also don't, I'm so critical of myself and I self edit like crazy. And I just, I don't want to put anything out that I feel like isn't up to par with my previous work i don't want to put something out just to keep up that model of two two per year so i'm just kind of going with the flow at the moment um i'm hoping like i took a a quick road trip down to west virginia to see my friend in her new house mm -hmm. um which was very nice and got to take some cool photos of, of the things around me I'm not really putting those photos out yet into like on Instagram or anything like that, just because I'm like, oh, maybe it'll lend itself to a project that comes up in my head mm. or uh, so I'm, I'm keeping those a little closer to the vest at the moment. And yeah, I, again, I think it comes down to it's so hard to find in kind of inspiration during these times. And it's kind of really hard to stay positive and productive. Um, what I would really love to do is actually start pitching the No Invite series to like a real publisher. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of been on my list because I have such a huge archive of those photos. Uh, you know, I probably have three to four thousand photos from that project at this point. Stuff that's made it into the book or stuff that didn't fit into the book. Um, and a lot of highlights from the books that already exist. <laughs> I would really love to maybe pitch that into like a real collection. Um, mm. So if uh, anyone knows any book agents out there, please <laughs> hit me up because it's, it's not, I, again, it's like an industry I don't really know anything about, which is why I just went out and started doing it on my own. Um, so now trying to go through proper channels is a little more challenging because I just don't know where to mm. go or who to, who to contact and things like that. Um, so I feel like that might be a good way to, maybe not create less uh, new content, but kind of collect the old content a little bit. Um, has the, um, has the no invite series ever facilitated you actually getting an invite to something? <laughs> so actually kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Excellent. I, I've, I've always signed up for, there's a couple apps you can use. There's one called GPS radar. Um, that is like a collection of different, events and, and some of those events you can rsvp or request an rsvp and but a lot of times they'll see oh you're a photographer in whatever you're labeled as in the app they'll try to put me in the media risers or things like that which is of no use to me like i'm shooting with mm -hmm. a camera with a 35 millimeter lens being in a media riser shooting the runway is you know i'm not going to get anything that's going to be worth my while 
Um, occasionally, I've gotten into stuff and then snuck backstage and gotten things, um, which was really great. I did that last season where uh, I think it was the Kenneth Nicholson show, and I got to watch the fashion show, which was great. But then I just uh, I think the rapper Fabulous was there. And I just followed him and his crew backstage and then got a ton of photos of people backstage. Actually, the cover of No Invite Volume 7 was taken backstage at that show. Mm. And um, so I kind of I kind of use those to my advantage. And then any invites I get that I can't because I, I'll RSVP to everything. And then if I can't attend, you know, I'm on the list for next year. You know, I'll be on their media list or. I give it to one of my other friends who shoot a little more traditional fashion work. So I'll give it to my friend who will be able to shoot from the riser and, and get work that he is looking to make. And uh, so I kind of, I, I, I distribute my, uh, my wealth out to the, the other people who may appreciate <laughs> it more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the more I do it, the more you kind of get recognized for doing it, mm. um, which is great. But again, still so much of the work that is, useful for me to go into the book is still of the kind of guerrilla tactic style yeah. um but it is nice are to you... be able to push that out to other people who will mm. be able to use it more Wait, are you handing out business cards or anything to people as you take your their photos as well sometimes um a lot of it is so fast that mm -hmm. you don't really have time for that stuff um mm. that's kind of what i love about shooting film is you don't have time to kind of second guess you have like one moment and and then you you can't like oh if i took your picture and then you're gone and then i look at it at the back and it's it's a little blurry now all of a sudden i'm like my whole confidence is shook for the rest of the yeah. night you know <laughs> and i'm second guessing all my work it's literally i get the shot and then like a week later i find out if it's blurry or not <laughs> and then at that point i'm over it and uh, it's a bummer but it, there's nothing i can do uh again not that this is a positive in any way <laughs> for most people uh this isn't like a you know that's not a positive to shooting film it's like i didn't know i messed up until a week later but it's very much of the ilk of like you know you you have a second with these people sometimes yeah. and uh there was there was a great moment when i was shooting volume two um there's a, a model slick woods she she was just getting big it was outside of a helmet lang show she got mobbed by photographers and once I kind of calmed down, her and her crew were kind of like halfway down the block waiting for an Uber. And I'm like, I really want to take a picture of this uh, this woman. She looks awesome. She's a really cool look. She's about to blow up. And I walk over to her and I'm like, hey, uh, I know you just got mobbed, but is it is it cool to uh, like, do you mind if I take one photo? And she's like, yeah, but just one. And I'm like, that's all I need. Took the photo. <laughs> I like saw the flash in the viewfinder go off and like lock the image in my head like I knew it was good. Uh, mm -hmm. which is a fun thing about shooting cameras with viewfinders instead of SLRs. It's like, you can kind of lock that moment in. And then she looks at me and she goes, Oh, you got that 35 millimeter. That's how I know you ain't a bitch. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, can I have another photo? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't even, I didn't even take it. I stuck to my, I stuck to her, her wish of just one photo. And, uh, and yeah. And then, you know, again, it's, I like working that way. I like being able to just, you know, grab a shot really quick. And like I said, working with the, the Sheikas, I know that the flash is well balanced. It's in a good position. That's actually why I don't like using the um, the Olympus Stylus Epic. Like if you look where the flash position is on that, 
it's right above the lens and you have to uh like you actually have to hold it with the the button up i think on that camera to get the flash not under lighting but it's very mm -hmm. close to the lens i love about the the yashica that it's it's pretty well offset to the side so it's a little more flattering especially in a vertical um orientation and uh that's stuff you got to think about sometimes and a lot of other point and shoots like the flash is way too overpowering so again mm -hmm. i've kind of mm -hmm. narrowed down my toolkit a bit into like what I know works for what I need. Yeah. As we start to wrap up now, Dan, um, has, have your photographic experiences, have your life experiences um, that you went through in 2020 that everybody went through, but obviously with your creative stuff, do you think it's going to influence the way you approach either your photography or your construction of zines going forwards uh, you know the the zine you made cruel summer this year you put together in a very different way because it's very different material you found the narrative through it um which you know, a different approach to what you've done in the past can you see things changing or do you think that it will be a return to norm i mean are you seeing that in your work now can you look back over the period of the last 12 months and go ah, i'm doing things slightly differently whether it's because of the headspace i'm in or the experiences i've had yeah i think i think it's going to change everyone just in like whether it's involuntary or voluntary i think just a lot of people's behavior is going to be changed um i think on my end it it might be you know, a little tougher to get that close to people in the future, at least for mm -hmm. a while until things are a lot more settled down and maybe people are feeling a little less anxious about, you know, getting yeah. sick and things like that. Yeah. So I think my, my work might change out of necessity, um, kind of as it had with, with cruel summer. Um, a lot of people looked at cruel summer and saw my kind of look throughout it, which is something even I didn't, quite recognize but again i've been doing it for so long you kind of mm. develop a, a a style almost you know involuntarily um which was good to hear like i said i was very apprehensive about putting out non-fashion work because that's not the reputation i'd built on and the fact that anyone was interested in it all was very was very cool but yeah i think i'm now that I've been doing books and stuff for so long, I mean, this is the eighth book I've done in, in four and a half years or so. I'm very, I'm very cognizant of now shooting things vertically for spread, uh, for, for page and horizontal for a spread. I find myself shooting vertical a lot more than horizontal, which is interesting. And even on my road trip, I'm like, I still want it to be a, vertical zine so i shot a lot of landscapes in portrait essentially mm. um so i guess that's something that's just kind of always in my head now at this point that um yeah i, I just kind of it's, it's involuntary now it's a learned behavior um so i yeah, i think i think being just aware of what the output may be and preparing mm. for that in advance is something that i um i definitely and more aware of now. I suppose the important thing we should make sure our listeners know is where they can actually get hold of yeah. all summer. Uh, so it's um, Spotify, look for Banana Rama. <laughs> 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 
yeah, definitely recommend uh, listening to that while while paging through the book, you know, <laughs> set the mood. <laughs> so where can they find it then, Dan? Uh, so you can find it at my website, danbassini.com, and then you can click on store. And uh, I have uh, all the previous copies of No Invite minus volume two, which is currently sold out. Um, and then, yeah, you can get the new one, Cruel Summer. That's uh, it's actually been kind of a bummer, too, is normally for these books, I've had release parties and photo shows that go along with them. And I wasn't able to do that for volume oh. seven. By the time that came out, it was already a month into lockdown. And then obviously for the new one, you know, things haven't improved. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, no, it'd be great. Uh, I'm, I'm debating doing a small reprint of volume two um, just because it's been sold out for a while. But uh, yeah, if you want to check it out there, um, I guess everyone could check out the rangefinderdiaries.com as well. Mm. You do a podcast, uh, don't you? A non, a not, well, not specifically photography podcast. What's your podcast? Uh, my podcast is called Have a Nice Life, and that is uh, it's one I do with my my friend Erica. And uh, again, yeah, not photography related in the least, outside of it's what I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's more or less just me and me and my friend kind of BSing a bit. Uh, so it's just a fun little steam, you know, let off steam. We started it in Jan- like January first of 2020 so it's been a very surreal capture yeah. of this last year you know yeah. so it, it's it's cool i love i mean uh, as with the rangefinder diaries i love chronology <laughs> i love like these long-term <laughs> projects that i can kind of revisit and uh it just having record of my life is, is very interesting yeah. um i really love uh like even with if you go on rangefinderdiaries.com uh the rangefinderdiaries.com Go to the archive tab and you can see literally my entire photo career from photo school until now. And it's 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 kind of wild to see. It's it's fun. Awesome. Well, it's been great getting to chat to you again tonight, Dan. And um, I'm glad that you've managed to produce some new creative direction out of the last year. I think it, like I said, it's, we all felt quite a lot of pressure applied at the beginning of the all. Like, oh, you should be doing stuff. You should be out making the most this time. But I think it's been real hard to do that. And um, it's, it's so much easier said than done. And mm-hmm. I really think don't let people put pressure on you. Don't let people tell you that you should be doing more than you are. It, it If you force yourself to be creative, it's not going to be genuine work. It's not going to yeah. be like it, it's going to have that kind of asterisk next to it of like you, a little forced. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so i mean don't put pressure on yourself it's not it's not going to make you feel better um so yeah i think do things at your own pace if you need to you know take a breather there's nothing wrong with that and also don't don't kind of let yourself go where you want to go in terms of your work if it takes you in a direction that you might not be expecting or may not be used to like go with it mm-hmm. if you decide to start writing or painting <laughs> instead of taking pictures yeah roll with it you know with the so, flow yeah absolutely um claire john is there anything uh, you guys need to let listeners know about this week no uh nothing from me apart from um the twelve twelve project will be starting um again at the end of this month oh, so that awesome. should be good so yeah. it's um yeah last day of the month um so that'd be good brilliant i'm very pleased to hear that and uh, John, how long is it until we can look forward to the monthly episode of <laughs> The Dark Shed Live? Oh, it, it'll be the end of the month. 
end of the month, as far away as possible. Yeah, specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm taking uh, a break. <laughs> yeah, taking a break. Yeah, from all that busy nothing you've been doing. <laughs> I don't mean that at all. You're very hard working. <laughs> Graham, to. what did we just talk about? Pushing someone to be more creative than they. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm John to develop because of film I sent him yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the next the next episode of On Film will be up shortly. Yes, that will be out next week. We will get that ne next, next week. week? And it will be next week. And um, also, do want to mention this week, uh, we mentioned it on backing paper, but um, this week on Sunny 16 Presents, we have got episode three of I Dream of Cameras with uh, Jeff Greenstein. Ah, and brilliant. So um, if you've enjoyed the first two episodes, which we shared on this feed, you will now need to go to the Sunny 16 Presents feed and sign up for that. Mm recent installment um but do it knowing that there will be another episode in two weeks because i've already got episode four waiting so that'll be out in two weeks time and i know they're already working on episode wow. it turns out that hollywood producers and writers when <laughs> when they've taken when all of their work is taken away very much need to be creative in some of their outfits <laughs> having a great time doing that which we are very excited about sharing wonderful um i was delighted to hear that they've even got merch planned which is putting us very much to shame uh, they're on show <laughs> or they've got merch planned we're on show number 231 i <laughs> got there yeah but you know you can't rush these things um so yeah that's what we've got going on uh next week <laughs> is going to be a hostful show so um looking forward to that but yeah, other than that, um, Dan, thank you so much. Where can people find you on Instagram and Twitter? Ah, uh, just my name, Dan Bassini. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. Uh, well, we will get out of here now. Um, oh, obviously, you probably figured out no rates this week. <laughs> um, but hopefully, we'll have a full crew next week. And I mean full crew. We're aiming we're to do these hostful shows once every sort of four or five shows. We're looking to have a full crew next week, um, which means we might be dragging aid back as well. Um, so until next week, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will play you out with Rachel's band, Roja, uh, um, which you can find on Bandcamp and Spotify and all the good places music can be found. You can get in touch with us at sunny16podcast at gmail.com, which you should, or follow us on Instagram or Twitter or whatever works for you. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. 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 Goodbye.